0: On this episode of The Fellowship Podcast by CMF International, I speak with Kip Lines, the Executive Director of CMF, on missiology, mission trends, and the future of CMF International. We talk through the roots of missiology, the dangers of having a monocultural view of the Christian faith, and the exciting future of CMF, a people from everywhere, going everywhere. I'm your host, Jake Moore. Welcome to The Fellowship I wanted to take today in this episode to talk through missiology and mission trends with you, Okay. particularly because for you, you have been involved in missions now for going on 25 years. Uh, You were in college, heavily involved in missions. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were an intern with CMF. You were a REACH intern. I was a REACH intern. Uh, You Mm -hmm. went on to serve as a CMF missionary Mm -hmm. with the Turkana people. And then after that, after your time of service with the Tracana, you went on to become an intercultural studies professor. You got your PhD in intercultural studies and then went on to teach about missiology and, and intercultural studies. And so you've seen the full gamut of different aspects of what missions is, what right. missions has been, mm-hmm. and maybe even where missions is going. Yeah. And so... I just thought it would be fun today to talk about some aspects of that, the influence that missions has had on your life, as well as where you see the challenges within missions and where you think missions could possibly be heading. So thanks yeah. for taking this time uh, today to to talk to me and hopefully to provide us with some insight into some of the things that you have been thinking about with missions and particularly for CMF.
1: Yeah. I I'm happy to to have this conversation today. We've actually been wanting to have this conversation for a while. <laughs> yeah. And so I am uh I'm looking forward to talking through some of this. And and I'll just add some of the other. Yeah, I've got, I've got the, the field experience. I've been studying missions for a long time. Um, uh, I've been a part of the um, American Society of Missiology for a number of years and attend those meetings every year mm-hmm. and the American Academy of Religion. So one of the things that for folks within CMF, um, that I would say is that it was important to the board uh, when they hired me three years ago. They were looking for someone that not only had mission experience but also still had a foot in the the academic world of missiology, mission mm-hmm. studies. Okay. Um, that that uh, the person who is the executive director of CMF not only has mission missionary experience mm-hmm. um, but also has studied and researched, um, history of mission, but also the way that theology and social sciences, mm-hmm. particular anthropology relate to each other as we work through our mission as an organization. Uh, when we, when we're trying to decide what, what ministries we're engaging in, or if there's a new field that we're opening up or we're trying to figure out a model of ministry or evaluate those things. One of my tasks and my role is to think, Missiolo- missiologically mm-hmm. uh, about what we're doing uh, is this best practice does it take into consideration um, you know the the internal and external understandings of culture in the context and uh, is appropriate in that context so yeah happy to talk about this some more yeah no, I'm, already, I'm already getting into it a little too much no i think
0: it's <laughs> extremely fascinating and like i said it, it helps us maybe see into some of the ways that you think about missions or about cmf as you right. approach your role right. and, and yeah. even some of our teams and the directions that they're heading
1: mm-hmm. Can with
0: I, all of the well what were you going to say go ahead no i was just going to suggest Maybe I could just explain, you know, before we really get started, what missiology is. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, Yeah, I think that'd be great. Maybe let's describe what missiology is. And then in your 20 plus years of experience around missions, I'd love to see trends that you've seen come and go.
1: Right. Yeah, that'd be great.
0: So leading into that. So
1: the field of missiology, I mean, when someone says missiology or I'm a missiologist, Mm -hmm. I mean, the easy thing that, that most people are thinking is, oh, well, this is a person who studies mission or studies evangelism and that kind of thing. Uh, the field of missiology is actually relatively new as an mm. ac- an academic discipline. So you've got anthropology, the field of anthropology that really didn't start until uh, the turn of the 20th century. So right about 1900, you started to have um, universities that had a chair of anthropology and mm. they were studying um People groups around the world. Uh, they were doing eth- uh, ethnologies, mm-hmm. uh, not ethnographies. Okay. So they were collecting data about different peoples, and those collections of data about different peoples were called ethnologies. What's fascinating is in the early 1900s in anthropology, where they were getting a lot of the information was from missionaries.
0: Really? So okay. yeah, the field of anthropology
1: really started uh, in Great Britain, and then. Uh, America followed soon after. And so British missionaries all around the world were contacted by anthropology professors mm. and, and say, hey, we need data about people. And so yeah. the, miss, the missionaries were writing up accounts of the way people live descriptions of culture and ritual and religion and, and language, language yeah. i was gonna say language
0: would have been built yeah, with what into the language that too. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: was like and so those collections was was what early anthropology was and then it wasn't uh until you know of course there's been theological studies th- throughout the history of christianity mm-hmm. we've got centuries and centuries of great uh, theological works uh, that, that have been ongoing. So you've got theology that had been ongoing in the church. You've got anthropology, the stream of this new discipline of anthropology uh, in the 20th century. And then about the middle of uh, the 20th century, you start to get the sense that there could be an academic study of what it means to be a missionary mm-hmm. and how does one engage in mission. And it was really in the 1950s and 60s that there was this um, merging of the best of anthropology and the best of theology and evangelism and mission studies
0: came together. Hmm. And that's that's what the field of missiology was. Was there a particular institution where that, that started or was it pockets throughout the United States and even in the UK where it's kind of well, started interesting coming up. One of the, one of the institutions where that
1: started early on was Butler University really? uh, in Indianapolis here. So the Butler School of Religion mm-hmm. had one of the early missionary training seminaries, schools, graduate schools, um, that brought together anthropology and mission. Hartford Seminary in New England uh, was another place like that. Uh, it was an early school. And then of course, later on, um, you know, you have Fuller School Religion. Yeah, uh, some of the other schools um, that that grew in these uh, missiology departments. Mm -hmm. But what they were doing was saying, all right, so a missionary needs to be able to understand culture, Mm -hmm. learn language, be able to tell the message of Jesus in a way that people understand in a culturally relevant way. Right. And so the best way for a missionary to prepare and learn how to do that is to study cultural anthropology, mm. linguistics alongside of theology and biblical studies. You bring that all together and that's what missiology is. Okay. So there's been that uh, that study of missiology since the mid-1900s. The, the first like journal uh, mm-hmm. was called Practical Anthropology, mm-hmm. uh, and that became the journal that's now called uh, Missiology.
0: Really, Uh, okay.
1: And uh, one of—I don't know if he was your professor—Charles Tabor, Yeah. uh, At Emmanuel School of Religion. He He had retired.
0: He retired, but did like some adjunct-type teaching. So he was one of the
1: last editors of Mm -hmm. Practical Anthropology and one of the first editors of the Missiology Journal during that time period. And that that group of folks through the American Society of Missiology um, was really trying to bring the best of all those worlds together for study. So. That's when someone says, I'm a missiologist. I'm a missiologist. I have a, a PhD in intercultural studies, which is more commonly the term now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived in that academic world of trying to bring together the best of current anthropology and anthropological insight with biblical theology, history of mission, uh, evangelism. That's that's missiology. And that's that's what I'm Talking
0: about when I say that. So. And so it's really a blend of those different areas. It's interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's interdisciplinary. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is very fascinating. You need to think about, again, the name intercultural studies, that it's, mm-hmm. it truly really encompasses different aspects. It's, it's not just anthropology. It's not just linguistics. Right. It's not just history. It's a blend of all three of those. Yeah. Among and I'll give them. you my 30 second reason for why it's called intercultural studies today. Sure.
1: Some of the larger schools that were training people in missiology recognized that a degree in missiology was difficult for folks that wanted to engage as missionaries in countries where it was a closed country kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So there was an idea to shift the language, but the language also shifted because the older missiology was based on older anthropology that kind of looked at, I am one culture and I'm going to a place that is one culture. Like it's just this cross-cultural exchange. Uh Today it recognizes that, Uh, what's happening is you are actually the the cultural understanding is moving back and forth it's not one directional and i am made up of more than just one cultural influence and the people that i'm interacting with have other cultural
0: influences not just one so yeah so so much more complicated it's it's (laughs) a true melting pot yeah uh, right which is something to be celebrated and Mm -hmm. is very exciting Uh, it is as well You know, since this has been around now for 60 plus years mm-hmm. uh, as an area of study, there have probably been a lot of different trends that you've learned about within missions mm-hmm. and throughout church history. But in your 20 years of missiology experience, being a missionary, being an intern, studying it, teaching it, what are some trends that you've seen come and go? Uh, and then maybe the next piece of that would be, where would be some areas where you've You've seen some trends that have continued and maybe will continue going forward
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i i think some of the trends are popular and
1: some of the trends uh, are things that are trends that people in more of the academic circles will talk about so mm-hmm. we can talk popularly about some things pretty easily through mission history um, where you've got um, uh, the ways that you think about evangelism uh and uh justice or social action sorts of things so within missiology there's been a constant study of the tension Mm -hmm. between uh, evangelism as preaching of the gospel uh preaching of the good news of jesus and people accepting the good news of jesus uh and whether or not that is opposed to or different from uh, social action and, and justice work and, and holistic ministry in a community, and so uh, I would say one of the one of the things that you'll see as you study the history of mission uh, in the last hundred years is you'll see a pendulum swing that goes back and forth often between no. Uh, real mission work is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus and people becoming followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and the other stuff that you do is supporting that and is alongside that, or maybe that's the work that the church does. But if you are engaged in mission, you're preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. And then the pendulum swung uh, a lot, I would say in the sixties and seventies to where, uh, mission was really about, uh, Uh, restoration and wholeness in people's lives and right relationships with, with people and the preaching of the gospel because the pendulum swung was less important in word and more important in deed. Hmm. Uh, And that people were, were separating out uh, that kind of ministry from just a, you know, more of a strict preaching of the gospel. And I think where we're at right now is, is in a place where the pendulum has, kind of come back in the middle, we've got a really good understanding of holistic, minist- of holistic ministry, holistic mission, in which we recognize, yes, the gospel is preached, but if people are receiving the good news of Jesus, they're receiving it in a way that impacts every area of their life. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that's been one thing that you can watch throughout the history of mission um, and and study and understand why there is that tension still today with some churches or particular mission organizations,
0: that kind of thing. In your own experiences, have you seen that pendulum swing? Like what are there some examples from your time as an intern to now being the executive director of CMF? Uh,
1: Well, I think uh, early on when the time when I was an intern, um, that tension was really highlighted. Like, are you, are you doing evangelism or are you doing good works? And there was this real distinction that you're either doing one or the other. Mm -hmm. I feel like today uh, we have a much clearer understanding of these go hand in hand. In fact, it's hard to separate them out. Uh, How can I preach the good news of Jesus and also not care about these other aspects of a person's life? Or how could I, as a follower of Jesus, care about all of these other aspects of someone's life without sharing the message of Jesus. Like they have to go, they have to go together. So I, I I did see that, like, um, that, that would be a, an argument that people would make against, um, maybe a health clinic system or something like that, like, uh, that, that distracts or detracts from the ministry that you're trying to do. Uh, whereas today I would say we see how those things are integrated and more supportive Mm -hmm. of each
0: other. So do you, you've seen that, do you have, have you seen the north american church also embrace that 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 change towards the integration of the two which group (laughs) (laughs) depends on which church it really does yeah Yeah. and
1: i um uh, what happened in america this is actually in in church history in america is kind of called the great divide uh, Hmm. where you had uh, the group of folks that were concerned about a literal reading of scripture uh, became more aligned uh, with um, you know the preaching of the gospel and not social action and and other church groups that were not as concerned about literal reading of scripture uh, became more aligned with social action stuff and so that actually became a division based on how you understood scripture and that mm. uh, that's very concerning because it's difficult then once people draw those lines it's dif- it's difficult for churches to even work together on mm. on some projects so, yeah, um, I would say it's clear in America uh, that some churches are more concerned with kind of holistic ministry uh, and less concerned with the preaching of the good news of Jesus, uh, while other churches are the other way, and and it's hard for them to you know, kind of see eye to eye on that stuff. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a whole topic. Uh, I don't want to get into. <laughs> um, but in uh, some some of the other things that I've noticed. Um, in, in, uh, mission trends, you know, one of the, one of the things in the last 50 years would be the rise of short-term mission trips. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when, you know, when I was, uh, in high school and in part of a youth group in a church in the 1980s, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, we didn't go on mission trips, right? i mean even for me doing yeah. junior high and high school in the 90s you didn't go on mission trips it was right. my first missions experience maybe similar to you was in college right but it wasn't a two week thing it was two months yeah even then that concept of a two-week trip or or a week-long trip was not quite as a built into the church yeah kind of fabric
1: so short-term the the trend of short-term mission trips. Uh, is one of the examples of the way I think missiology serves us well. Mm. So there was this rapid expansion of churches wanting folks in their church to be engaged in what God is doing in mission around the world and supporting trips for lots and lots of people to go out and visit the missionary that they supported and visit the place and engage for a week or do a VBS or build Mm -hmm. a building, like a a clinic, a a school, uh, fix up a school. And these were these were considered to be great things, but it just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And so, what happened, like in the uh, the Society of Missiology, uh, was people started to question um, whether this was healthy or not. Well, how do we how do we evaluate it, and how do we engage it? So there were years of study that were done of short-term mission trips and mm-hmm. trying to figure out uh, what's the long-term impact of people. Uh, in the place where you have lots of people going and visiting? Uh, what's the long-term impact for the folks who are going on the trips? Um, and um, what's the economic impact? And how how is money being used uh, mm-hmm. that maybe previously was being used to support other work, but now it's being used to support these short-term trips? And so a lot of studies came out about short-term missions, and I would say today the types of mission trips that most churches engage in have been influenced uh, by a lot of those studies so that people think about the potential harm that they could do in a short-term trip. Mm -hmm. There's obviously benefit and great things that come out of short-term trips, but because a group of people who had, that were steeped in social science and missiology, uh, biblical theology, did the research, Mm -hmm. uh, we've really been able to to make short-term trips more valuable, both for the people on the ground And who go on that trip. Um, And there's lots of ways that that happened. uh, But, um, you know, I think of some of the books like Serving with with Eyes Wide Open uh, that came out during that time period that help people understand uh, the importance of understanding the culture before you go, uh, evaluating the trip, uh, having a clear purpose for the trip, recognizing that uh, you're not a cultural insider and as a short-term group you can't be the ones calling the shots and making decisions on the ground. You have to rely on local people on the ground to make the decisions for your group. All of that made short-term trips much more healthy uh, in the long run. So that's just a quick example. And uh, yeah.
0: yeah, do you feel like the trend of short-term trips is kind of fading away a little bit because of that influence, or do you feel like it's it's continuing? forward as steady as it had been in the last 15 20 years you know wow. i kind of for me i feel like the the trend of short-term trips really started picking up in the early 2000s maybe hit its peak in the 2010-2012 uh time frame and yeah. it seems like it's it's been a popular trend but fewer and fewer churches Churches are taking longer trips or, or more frequent trips. Maybe I should say. Well, than, I, than I, what I think, I saw I think it
1: continues to be popular. Maybe it has gone down a little bit. Um, it continues to be popular, uh, but people recognize more of the um, the complexity and the the potential dangers in a short term trip, and they're doing a much better job preparing people for the trips and and that sort of thing. Um, I'm actually part of a study group in in ASM that looks specifically at short term trips and whether or not Um, short-term mission trips as a form of colonial mission Hmm. work again. So uh, if you think about, and and this has been a concern in the field of missiology for many years, um, it is obvious that early mission work in the 1800s, early 1900s was colonial in nature, that missionaries Mm -hmm. were coming from colonial powers to places where, uh, people were colonized, mm-hmm. and the power of that that colonial power was mm-hmm. being used to basically force people to become Christian. Like people had no choice. You, if you want to survive and and do well in a colony, then you become like the colonizers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in the the study of missiology, we've spent a lot of time trying to get mission practices away from we've tried to decolonize (laughs) mission practices so that it's not always coming from a position of power and it's not always forcing people and coercing people uh to be christians but it is uh helping people to understand the the good news of jesus in ways that make sense and they want to be followers of jesus Uh, and they can be followers of jesus in their own language and in their own culture and Mm -hmm. don't have to be part of the colonial power so when this th- this was the concern when short term mission trips became really, really popular because all of the trappings of colonial mission, things like, well, I'll just use a translator. I don't have to learn the language. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really matter what the people think. They, you know, they don't they don't understand how to do things the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just do it the way we want to do it. Like, yeah. This was colonial mission practices years ago. <laughs> Uh, you know, right. if, if they if they want to be Christians, then they just need to dress like us, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, if they want to worship, then we'll just um, teach them. We'll just English. teach them English worship, mm-hmm. worship songs, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Okay. So it was short-term missions was like a repeat of colonial mission practices, right. and that was the big concern. Like, no, we're. We we don't want to do that again. We don't want to repeat this history. So thankfully, you know, we've got this group of folks that have studied this and studied the history and can bring it bring out more popularly that you know, you know. these practices. Well,
0: that that brings me kind of maybe to one of my big questions that I wanted to ask you today. Okay, And that is. <laughs> Maybe due to some of the negative ramifications of short-term trips, I have heard personally, and I've heard also, I guess, publicly, kind of the condemnation of missions, particularly that North, is there a place for North Americans to be involved in missions around Mm -hmm. the world? North Americans leaving the United States and going to other countries and doing missions work. Right. Um, Particularly people outside of the church are quite critical of that. Mm um and so as a missiologist uh, as someone who has a heart for missions a heart for the church as and but has also done the work of studying yeah. uh, missions throughout history yeah i'd love to hear your thought on that do you do you see a place for it or what place do north americans in the north american church even play within missions
1: oh wow so there's we <laughs> so i started super, with that question i know right? sorry maybe i just, should have done yeah, that yeah we uh, yeah we have spent all this time talking about this other stuff um Gosh, yes, there does continue to be a role for North Americans to serve in mission. And absolutely, I would say yes. When people, because people do regularly ask me that question, Hmm. do we need missionaries anymore? It seems like there are Christians everywhere, like, uh, or there are ways that we could support a Christian movement without sending a missionary. And then, you know, one of my favorite questions was so expensive to Uh send an American overseas. Yeah why would we continue to do that it seems like there are cheaper ways to do this well Mm -hmm. the the theological basis for everything that i believe about missions is rooted in the incarnation Mm -hmm. it's rooted in the incarnation of jesus and the example of god crossing boundaries uh, and becoming flesh and living among people god learned the local language uh, God ate the food hmm. in that place with those people and walked with people through Jesus. Uh, and that's the example that we have as followers of Jesus, um, that, uh, we are called to go and we are called to share the good news of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what I truly believe through the study of mission, uh, theology, anthropology, uh, is that, uh, people come to understand God, um, And the the Spirit of God ignites movements best when there are folks who continue to cross the boundaries and engage uh, in ministry in places where people continue to do the work of learning a local language and live among people that are not the people that they grew up with. Uh, When people cross boundaries, they are living out the example of the incarnation. And it's very, very powerful. Um, what happens and you can see this, uh, probably in your own church in America or anywhere you live, actually, when you have a group of Christians who, uh, um, live together and figure out what it means to follow Jesus, but everyone in that group of Christians is all from the same culture and they all speak the same language. Their theology over time shifts and starts to become, um, very focused on um, thinking about god uh, through their own cultural framework um, in some ways god starts to favor them more than any other people in hmm. the world uh, god speaks their language um, more than any other language uh, and you start to get a very monocultural view of christian faith uh, and you start to not see the deficiencies in your faith uh, that are because it's just part of your culture. You don't deal with these cultural tensions very well. Um, You know, as an American Christian, if I didn't have experience of other cultures or relationships with people from other cultures, there are parts of consumerism, uh, parts of entertainment that I might start to say, I don't see any problem with that. Like Mm -hmm. we're all Christians here. What's the problem with this or that? Right. Um, But when you have people that cross boundaries, uh, when you have people that come from a different cultural perspective, living together and working together on what it means to follow Jesus, uh, often the prophetic voice comes out of that crossing of the boundary Mm -hmm. uh, and having a different
0: viewpoint. And so for a North American, that would mean, becoming a prophetic voice not only in that other culture but maybe even back home in the united states yeah so there's a couple
1: a couple terms that i like to use when i talk about this so um i i believe that in mission today and you know you're asking about the future of mission yeah uh you know it's rooted in the incarnation and that crossing of culture but when you cross culture there's a couple different ways we have to work um and there's a couple fancy terms that i use uh, I talk about epistemic humility. Mm-hmm. So epistemic humility uh, is saying that uh, your your epistemology, which again, mm-hmm. another big word, the 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 way you know the things that you know or how you know the things that you know mm-hmm. is completely shaped by your culture and your language, the way you were raised, all of that. Mm-hmm. And you don't even think about it, but all of those things shaped the way you think and view the world. And so for Christians today who cross boundaries, to share the good news of Jesus and live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus in another culture. They have to have humility in recognizing that their epistemology, their culture, Mm -hmm. their language, their view is different than the people that they're going to to, to be with and that they're living among. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that one one way of thinking and viewing the world is better than the other. They're just different. Mm -hmm. And so... That's the, humil- uh, yeah, that's the humility. Yeah, that's the humility part. Mm-hmm. And in epistemic humility, what you start to learn is when I read scripture, this is what stands out to me. Um, and often that's shaped by the culture that you've lived in and grown up in. When someone from another culture reads scripture, different things might stand out to them that are very important. And together, I think that's like the best way to do Bible study would be to do Bible study with people with different cultures together. Because yeah. you're you're both bringing your own viewpoint from your cultural perspectives on Mm -hmm. what God is saying to us through this passage of scripture. And together you actually have a bigger view Mm -hmm. uh, because you've not come with this dominant perspective that, well, look, I'm an American. Mm -hmm. I went to seminary. This is what this passage means. No, you're Mm -hmm. actually with a, a, a brother or sister from another culture, allowing the Holy spirit to work through this reading of scripture and coming to a even your perspective is expanding of who God is and what God is doing. Mm. And it's beautiful. That's yeah. a beautiful thing. That so means. the other term that I use for this is called ontic expansion. Okay. That when people from different cultures spend time together, particularly followers of Jesus, and they're reading scripture together, living out life together as followers of Jesus, the truth of who God is is, actually grows. Mm-hmm. So ontic is uh, is truth. Yeah, Like what
0: is true? Is it a Latin phrase? Is that correct? Ontic, uh,
1: ontic expense. So ontic, um, I'm trying to think what the root word would be. Yeah. Put me on the spot. Sorry. The root word. Well, it's because it I'm dumb like and I don't know what they mean. <laughs> um, uh, so that expansion yeah. uh-huh. of truth happens and, and becomes more possible when people from different epistemologies spend time together. And so as, Missionaries today, I would expect that CMF missionaries are not only recognizing that they don't have the only way of thinking about things, but that their their mm-hmm. understanding of God is growing because mm-hmm. of these interactions um, that are happening.
0: What, where were you ever epistemically humiliated humiliated? <laughs> I was trying <laughs> well, to say not, it no, sounds. No, we're not smart. trying to be humiliated. I know. I, that's <laughs> why I was trying to make a joke out of it. If, if, were do you? Did you no, ever find know. yourself being epistemically humiliated? Yeah, ask, when any, you ask any missionary to. that lived, right. like, you know, years
1: um, somewhere else in the world, mm-hmm. and they will tell you the things that they learned in that place that had a long-term effect on them. And I, I we've talked about this in other episodes, the things yeah. that had an effect on me as a missionary. Yeah. Uh, but in, in missiology, sometimes we talk about the conversion of the missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, I was converted to believing that... Um, my christian faith wasn't about me as an individual ultimately that mm. the the truest way that i can live out my christian faith is in community and i have to have people around me to do that i yeah. can't do it on my own right um and you can you can teach that all you want in america but our cultural perspective pushes individualism individuality so much uh, that it's hard for an american christian to not think that their christian faith is about personal thing between them and god or Mm -hmm. a personal belief in jesus so i was because i came with this humility i was able to to learn and grow more fully in that and i think that provides a a much better understanding now i think my turkana brothers and sisters that i spent time with have a little more of an understanding that they also as an individual need to believe things too Mm -hmm. it's not only just doing it because the elders said do it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So right. there's there's some give and play in that. But we're learning from each other. Yeah. And then you said something else that that's a big thing for me today that I think is really the future of mission
0: mm-hmm. in uh, a good
1: way. I hope in a good way in America that <laughs> that not only should a missionary today be learning, be open to learning, and they're learning and having a greater understanding of who God is and what God's doing in the world because of their work and interaction with people in other cultures. When missionaries come back to the place that they were sent from, mm-hmm. uh, not just America, wherever that is, right. um, they are uh, they have the possibility of being a bridge, a, like this this cultural bridge for the church that sent them. Uh, it's not just telling them stories about the work that God is doing through your ministry, but it's actually helping. Open up the eyes of that local congregation that sent you to the bigger world of what God is doing. And Mm -hmm. um, I call that global gaze. Hmm. So in in mission today, one of the roles of the missionary is not just the going Mm -hmm. and sharing the good news in holistic ministry with other people, but it's actually the returning and helping a local community of Christians that might be monocultural. Just they just have one perspective on the world have this larger global gaze of what God is doing around the world. And that helps them grow in their understanding of who God is. And that's, I think that's an important thing. Now, it's challenging. A lot of times churches have a hard time accepting that because they are, they have a very, you know, uh, one perspective way of thinking about the world, but that's the opportunity and challenge that missionaries have
0: when they Mm -hmm. come back to their home, their home Mm -hmm. church. Wow, and so yeah, it's really becomes multifaceted than mm-hmm. what we continue to bring to missions as North Americans right. for our our home con- country as well as our for our host countries. Right. Could you say those three f- phrases again, just as kind of like key takeaway points? So it's epistemic humility, epistemic humility, yep, ontic expansion, ontic expansion, expansion, and uh-huh. then and then you said global uh, gaze, global gaze, and mm-hmm. so those are three facets of. For us as missionaries within CMF that we bring to missions uh, that we bring to our ministries, but that we also can take back or bring back uh, to our homes and our home countries, wherever we may be from.
1: Yeah, the expectation that I have for our missionaries is that they are learning through the process and they're growing in their faith through the process and that they're they're going to be able to bring that back to the place where they grew up, maybe. And help people have a better understanding of that too, and engage in that. And then, you know, if someone's going to take a short-term trip, that that the missionary is there as a as a bridge to help people understand the cultural things that are happening and the way that God is working. um, That helps them, you know, grow in their faith and their 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 ability to be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm pointing at you yeah going <laughs> on <laughs> that doesn't happen when we stop sending people across cultural boundaries and linguistic barriers hmm. when people stay in their own communities uh there's great ministry that can happen in their own community that uh, but there's so much more that god is offering to churches to individuals to to communities through the The intercultural connections that happen Mm -hmm. when people are sent from here to there and people are are hosted from there to here Mm -hmm. and so now we're in the future yeah so this is the future of cmf this is the future of cmf yes
0: Definitely something I want to talk to to you about is like, we're we're seeing these trends, you're seeing even the values that you have within missions, as you think about the future of CMF. Like, where do you see the next phase of our organization going? Where do you see the next phase of missions as a whole going? Um, We've been talking some as directors about Uh, kind of the future of the church the future of ministry is on the the margins yeah so like where do you see that edge being pushed out within missions and maybe even with global gaze in mind with epistemic humility in mind where where do you see that moving even for us as an organization
1: yeah yeah so what we know is that uh, the church is growing most rapidly in places that are uh, not dominant context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what that, so God is moving at the margins and mm-hmm. you can make a theological argument that God has always moved that way. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. And, and that the people at the margins of society or at the margins of the world uh, is the place where God uh, is most active. And uh, many of those places and churches and Christians in those places of the world are more actively sending out uh, missionaries and ministers to other places Uh, than the more Hmm. dominant parts of the world. So how do we become part of what God is doing in that? Um, I think North American mission agencies uh, over the next 25 years, Mm -hmm. if a North American mission agency thinks that they're just gonna continue with a model of sending Americans from the United States to other parts of the world, in 25 years they're not going to exist anymore Uh, (laughs)
0: they will slowly go
1: away they will just go away Mm -hmm. because that is not where god is working now Uh, i think uh, that we will continue to send missionaries from america to other parts of the world but a viable international mission organization needs to recognize uh, that people are sent from anywhere to anywhere Mm -hmm. everywhere to everywhere Mm -hmm. and we have to participate in helping that happen. And we're already seeing that happen in CMF. It's just happening organically yeah. uh, in many of our ministries. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have global scope min, uh, ministries where some, uh, a student comes through a global scope uh, ministry and says, "I, you know, I want to do this. I want to be an intern in this ministry. And then they they do a year long internship and they say, I want to I be a global scope missionary and go somewhere else in the world and participate mm-hmm. in this ministry. Uh, That's already happening organically, but I think the future of CMF is to figure out how we can be more intentional about that. If we truly are an international organization, then we have to find ways to encourage, raise up, help send out people, not just from uh, one place, but from multiple places to multiple places. Mm -hmm. And some of that is also learning how to be a receiving organization. So, all of the other stuff I said about global gaze and ontic expansion and epistemic humility, the opportunity for the American church to still continue to learn about what God is doing and who God is that's available. If we start to host and accept Christian uh, leaders from other parts of the world Hmm. to come here. Um, I mean, honestly, I have a vision that someday, you know, churches in America will say uh, uh, they'll come to, to CMF, and say, hey, we're, we're looking for someone from another part of the world that can come and join our congregation for a year or two years or three years. This mm-hmm. is uh, who who is a gifted Christian speaker or Christian evangelist that can come and be part of our church and help us grow as a congregation. Uh, and that because of our connections all around the world and uh, our history as an organization, we would be able to help uh, bridge uh, the cultural barriers and the the logistical barriers to help someone and their family potentially come here to the U S and in a sense, be missionaries here uh, That's cool. serving with a local church, yeah. helping to expand their view of what God is doing, even yeah. in their own communities. Yeah. Because to Posturing be honest, that global gaze. Yeah. yeah that global gaze. Yeah. Uh, well, you got me started to be honest. <laughs> a lot of the challenges that churches in America are facing right now, regarding uh, diversity, racial tension, not understanding racial tension in their own communities. Uh, wow. A lot of that could be brokered. A lot of that could be, um, they could grow in understanding that if they would uh, allow someone from a different culture or a different perspective into their, uh, their community that would help them work through that. Hmm. Uh, now, uh, well, there's so much to say about that, but what I'm saying is, <laughs> This, this is the blessing that God would offer right. through these
0: intercultural exchanges, really missionaries coming from there to here. So, yeah. And, so yeah, as you look to the future and the trends within missions, that's what you see is I do. even CMF playing the role of bringing people here yeah. as well as sending people out. Yeah. And then I guess the sending out piece, not just being sendi- sent out from the United States, but sent out from One of our areas of ministry now say uruguay going Mm -hmm. to some place like kenya right yeah absolutely continuing to facilitate that yeah
1: yeah and and it just and it should be multiplying in the way that we do it so as leaders are growing up in a ministry anywhere in the world that cmf folks are engaged in Mm -hmm. it should it should make sense that that's that's the pool of people that as god is calling them to serve in ministry are going to be the future missionaries and CMF. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Yeah. uh, You know, we talk about that, like, where's the place where we're looking, um, where God is calling folks to serve as missionaries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, traditionally a group like us, we, we, we go to Bible colleges, we go to churches, we go to campus ministries, Mm -hmm. but thinking about God working at the margins means that we start to look at the places where God is working, where we've not looked before for those that are being called to engage in ministry. And we find ways to bring them in and encourage them and train them and support them to go and do the things that that we've been doing for years and years, uh, but folks at the margin have not had the opportunity
0: to do. Haven't been focused upon. Right. Well, as we close out this time, I'd love for you to just give maybe some words of advice for someone who's wrestling with this missions calling. Mm. Are there some some books some areas of study that they should be looking into to you know start gaining that epistemic humility or sure. a global gaze and and particularly for a future cmf missionary right what, what would be some suggestions or word of, words of advice that you would give to someone that's yeah. really looking at this as a career or as a two to four year commitment uh, of service any any words parting words for them for today? <laughs> parting as we, words for them. Yeah, as we uh, talk through missions, missiology, maybe a key takeaway for them would be great. Yeah, I think you know, one of the
1: first things I would say is if 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 you are feeling called to serve in this way, uh, and you've got some other friends and family, your church community that are supporting you uh, in this, that you should go for it. And and obviously, you know, we've got short term. Internship experiences mm-hmm. that are designed for people to learn uh, yeah. uh, and to and to get a clearer sense of whether God is calling them to that ministry. Um, as far as books, you know, one of the most popular books that churches have been using in recent years uh, is the When Helping Hurts book. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a couple different versions of that book now. Um, I think I think that's still an excellent book to read as just a baseline understanding of uh intercultural ministry and some of the pitfalls uh that if you are if you are engaging in ministry and long-term ministry in a way that is just handing things out and you're really doing relief Mm -hmm. work instead of you know something that's more longer term transformational that's not really helpful in many parts of the world so that when helping work uh hurts book yeah i think is really helpful a more recent book um that I like to point people to is by an author named Paul Borthwick uh, and it's called Western Christians in global mission mm-hmm. uh, and the, Western, the subtitle, Western Christians Western Christians in global, global mission. mission. The mm-hmm. subtitle is what's the role of the North American church. So for, for folks in America in the United States that are trying to figure out um, do Americans continue to have a role? Paul Borthwick does a great job in this book and outlining mm-hmm. the ways that yes, we do continue to have a role But we need to listen to the voices of people, Mm -hmm. of Christians in other parts of the world who are telling us many of the ways that we've done this wrong. And uh, here's the way that we can continue to engage. So that's really good. Um, And I'll just I'll give another one more book that I really like. Um, That's great. uh, Ron Sider, a a couple of years ago, wrote a book called Toxic Charity, Hmm. It was a really negative.
0: Sounds like a fun read.
1: No, no, no. It was a really, really (laughs) negative book. It was not a fun read. It made us feel awful about the way we engage in doing good works around the world. Yeah. But he followed that up with a more recent book called Mm. Charity Detox Mm -hmm. because he got so much criticism on all you're doing is pointing out all the bad things that people are doing. Mm. So Charity Detox by, by Ron Sider uh, starts to talk about the the better examples and models for ways that we engage in good work around the world. Uh, and I, I think that'd be very helpful for someone that's just starting to think about how do I make a difference in the community and, and bring about like real long term transformation mm-hmm. Uh uh, through the community, through people following Jesus and,
0: and holistic ministry. So charity detox by who Ron going? Sider. Ron Sider. Don't read the first one. Read detox. You can <laughs> read both of them for fun, but uh, <laughs> just read the second one. Charity detox. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so that's somebody that's really exploring missions, missiology, stepping into this as a career. As we actually in this episode, thinking about our teams. Yeah. CMF. We function on teams. Teams. Of north americans teams of north americans working with other international missionaries from other parts of the world yes and then also with multicultural part- teams, multicultural yes. teams yep. and then we also work with national partners national churches national christians in host countries yes so our concept of team is quite varied but as you think about a team and being an ideal team player mm-hmm. within the missiology the missions context yeah what are some things that you could say as words of advice for our current teams and our current missionaries ways that you can foster the epistemic humility, a global gaze, or, or just even challenging and encouraging one another to really think about our ministries yeah. through the missiological lens. Again, you just
1: picked up like that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thing. I've done a whole week long seminars on <laughs> yeah, like this yeah. thing. Uh, so, um, you know, multicultural teams are challenging and a lot of the challenge of multicultural teams, um, comes, I would just say, again, comes from that older model of colonial mission. Mm -hmm. When, when some people on the team have access to power, when some people on the team have access to the money or the Mm -hmm. funds or control Mm -hmm. the funds and other people don't, it makes it very difficult for the team to work together. Uh, and so, Everyone on the team has to work toward um, ways that decisions are made so that one person does not always uh, force the decision on others. Um, and, yeah, so to, working to, towards to cons-
0: consensus. Consensus, yeah.
1: yeah, consensus, but also um, moving away from hierarchy on teams that's based on just putting the person in charge that has all the resources available to hmm. them or, uh, or is the most educated, that kind of thing. Um, because too easily uh, decisions are made just to appease the person with the most power. And that's not what we want on a multicultural right. team, because if we're really being humble in the way that we approach these teams, we're willing to listen to all the perspectives or mm-hmm. we're, we're willing for decisions to be made that maybe our church in our home country wouldn't make um, because of the context that we're in and because we're actually looking for a decision that makes the most sense here in this place so that's my that's my really brief quick answer um <laughs> paying attention to the power structure on the team hmm. who holds the power and how do you distribute that power so that everyone actually does have a, a voice Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, and a share in decision making in the ministry. So I think that's a great great (laughs) and difficult point to end on. There were a number of takeaways and challenges from my conversation with Kip. We talked through Kip's expectations for our CMF missionaries and his hope that they are learning and being transformed through the process of serving with God's mission around the world. CMF missionaries get to be cultural bridges from our home churches to our host countries. And whether you are a missionary or not, thinking about following the incarnational model of Jesus, I hope each of you will go away from this episode thinking about ways that you can foster in your own life and faith an epistemic humility, an ontic expansion, and a further global gaze to catch a vision for what God is doing in the world. CMF International is an organization of people from everywhere going everywhere to connect with God's mission. And it's our vision that by 2030, we will have more than 300 missionaries serving in 40 different countries around the world. Perhaps God is calling you to be a part of our team at CMF International. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fellowship Podcast. Now, get out there and connect with what God is doing in the world around you.